Good morning. How is everybody? Good. Uh, thank you so much for praying for us. We did have a wonderful time in Bulgaria. I've never been there before, um, and it's an incredible place. Um, but I was actually really struck by the level of poverty there, in that I thought, well, I'm going to Europe, it can't be that bad. Um, but it, it is, actually, and they've really been affected by the area that we work um, with the churches in, in the north west They've really been massively affected by the COVID lockdowns, hit their economy very badly, and then obviously Ukraine on top. And, and everybody there is suffering quite significantly. Um, there's almost no development happening at all in the Northwest, um, which re- really struck me because obviously uh, we go to East Africa quite a lot, and there's always development happening there, but there really wasn't any happening in the Northwest, no, hardly any new buildings or anything. So, um, we, northeast. I'm sorry, don't ask me for directions ever. It's somewhere in the north of Bulgaria. They did tell me hundreds of times because I kept asking. Um, but uh, it also struck me with the believers there that they, they are very resilient believers. And, it, uh, you know, our fear for the, the church here in the UK is we're not so resilient. And we, we must learn resilience and learn from our brothers and sisters around the world how to be more resilient in our faith. Um, and it's a real challenge to us to be willing to learn that from um, churches who've dug their heels in, who work so hard. I mean, George is currently leading about six churches and traveling all over the north of Bulgaria to do that. And it, it's exhausting And he just does it all the time to keep the believers together and to keep them reaching out. And, you know, I thought, gosh, would we, you know, would we do it? Would we just every evening be driving all over on really awful roads and in the dark? And But they do because they've got their eyes fixed on eternity and they definitely know what they're doing and where they're going. So that was the thing that I really um, felt challenged by, is resilience. And we need to grow resilience here. So don't feel I'm criticising for myself as well. Just that thing of resilience, that we must be a more resilient people here in England. We have it good, but it might not stay like that forever. Now, on that theme, we're in the Psalms, which are a brilliant um, series that we're loving. So I'm, I've got Psalm 19, which is a real cheat, isn't it? Because it's a great psalm. I was saying I haven't actually prepared a sermon. I'm just going to read it three times and leave you to reflect on it for 20 minutes. But uh, <laughs> apparently that doesn't count. So I wasn't allowed to do that. <laughs> so let's read it together. I'm reading it in um, ESV. In your life groups this week, make sure you bring lots of different versions of the Bible so you can read it in lots of different translations because it's um, helpful. But let's read together. It says, um, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. 
The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, in keeping with them is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's beautiful, isn't it? Really beautiful psalm. Um, now, when you first read it, you, you might sort of think, I think it's two poems or songs kind of like shoved together in one psalm because they knew there was going to be a lot of them, so they thought we'd squidge some together in one. But it, it's not, actually. When you read more deeply, um, you do see the two sections. So you've got like the first bit, verses 1 to 6, where um, David, who wrote this psalm, King David, he shifts... Um, and talks about the wonders of the heavens, the sky, um, and the sun. And then verses 7 to 14 is like a poem about the law and forgiveness and sin and help with temptation. That can sort of be how you view it. But actually, the two parts of the psalm have a wonderful close connection, which C.S. Lewis, who um, is most famous for writing The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but who was actually also a professor in literary studies, he helpfully explains that that shift that we see in verse 7, where David suddenly starts talking about the law, the testimony of God, the precepts of God, it's not actually a shift because to David, it wouldn't have seemed like he was talking about something else because in verse 5, he's talking and reflecting about the all-piercing, all-detecting sunshine. And actually, the law of God, he would have thought about that and thought, oh, the law of God, it's all-piercing, it's all-detecting, it's all around. We can see the word of God. It goes right into our heart and our soul. You'll also notice that in verses 1 to 6, David refers to the deity who created the heavens and the sun as God. But then you'll notice that in verse 7, there's a shift into this God being called Lord. Creation reveals a creating and sustaining God, and the law reveals to us a Lord, our Redeemer, when we heed his words and obey them. So this morning, I just wanted to pull out two points. Um, So first one, the glory of God revealed in his creation. And secondly, the way to life is revealed in his word. These are photos. I didn't take them. You can probably tell because they're really good. If I'd done, they would have been like a thumbprint or a bit of hair or something like that. Um, Now, the glory of God is revealed in his creation, isn't it? So wonderfully. These are just photos, but you can see how beautiful our creation is. And David chooses just one part of our world to focus on. The heavens, the sky, the night sky, the sun, the sky that changes from one time to another, particularly in the UK. We never know what the sky is going to do. It's amazing. The clouds appear out of nowhere and rain on us. 
the rising and setting of the sun every day, the dark night sky, where some nights you can see all the stars, some nights you can just see a few. It's incredible, isn't it? And they all point us to a creator God. The beauty and wonder of the heavens point mankind to design and to a creator. A God of order, beauty, artistry, wonder, magnificent power, intelligence, and a God who is concerned for his people. So concerned, actually, that he makes the sun consistently rise day after day and to provide warmth to the earth and energy to our plants so that they grow and provide for the people who walk on the earth. The glory of God is revealed through all of creation, and the psalmist so beautifully just picks one little part to remind us of the wonder of the one whom we love. The skies proclaim God's handiwork, and therefore humanity is without excuse when they deny the existence of God and don't seek him or acknowledge him because he has actually revealed himself to us in the world all around us. In Romans 1, Paul, also the Apostle Paul, says this. It says, what, what can be known about God is plain to them, that's us, because God has shown it to us for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that we are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. The rhythmic rising and setting of the sun that David describes in verse 6 are a daily reminder to us that God is in control of life. He's sovereign over all of creation. And it also speaks to us of the changing nature of the earth that we live on, the brevity of time. Time marches from one day to another. And despite all of our advances here, we cannot stop it, slow it down, or change it. It happens every day. Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher and theologian, he says this about these verses. He says, day brings us labor, Night reminds us to prepare for our last home. Day bids us work for God, and night reminds us to rest in him. Day bids us look for endless day, and night warns us to escape from everlasting night. As we marvel at creation, we praise God for his glory, his wonder, his beauty, his splendor, that the one who created all that we see, who made the brightness of the sun, and who himself lives in irreproachable life, would reveal himself to us, that he would be kind enough to reveal himself to us. And how amazing it is that as we sit and gaze at creation, we are reminded of the beauty of our God that we serve, the God that loves us and cares for us. Um, whilst our society all around us, they seek to understand creation to make the physical world we see fit into the capacity and understanding of our small and limited human intellect, um, which even the cleverest person in the world is small in comparison to all of creation. Actually, we look at creation and we marvel that the God who created and sustains all of life, who made the sun, the moon and the stars, would consider us and would provide us with a world of resources. We have such amazing resources in the world, don't we? You know, science is a good thing. I, I, I love science. Um, 
But we mustn't get distracted from the point of studying and understanding our physical worlds. Actually, it is to marvel at the God who created it and at the God who, through creation, points us to him. It, and it's not to make a name for man and dismiss the need for God. You know, this week I was reading in Genesis about Babel, the Tower of Babel. Remember, they wanted to build, they worked out how to make brick and bitumen and um, bake things. And um, it says this really interesting thing where it says, we will do this to make a name for man. And actually, we have to be really careful in science as we pursue science, which is a good thing, it's so amazing to know like, about the planets and stuff, isn't it? It's incredible. Um, our world is absolutely incredible. But actually, we do it to marvel at God, to point people to design. The world is held in a delicate balance. A bit warmer, and we'd all frazzle and die. A bit colder, we'd all freeze and die. Just right, we live. It makes us marvel at the one who made it. Then we see this sudden shift, don't we, in verse 7, where it's David, after he's thinking and reflecting on the wonder of the sun, you know, nothing's hidden from its heat. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere really, really hot, and you can't get out of the sun. It is hideous. And you're standing there in the sunshine, and you're just crisping up, and it, you can just feel yourself turning into like a, a little crispy uh, potato chip. You're like, oh, like that. Um, I've had it happen a few times. And... Um, it, you, you, it's so all-consuming when you have the sun on you. Well, obviously, the thought of that made David start thinking about the law of God. The law of God, you know, it's, it just cuts right through us. It's on, it's on us. We can feel the law of God, and it brings this shift. And David, through the next part of the psalm, is showing us that the way to life, to enjoying this life that God has given us, is through God's word. So... We are going to look at the splendor of the word of God. David refers to, you'll find here, the law of God, the testimony of God, and then you get this word, the precepts of the Lord. Actually, the precepts is just a word which means the rules of God which relate to our behavior, how we behave, and the commandment of God. We read all of these different phrases. Now, it should be clear that David is not just referring to the Ten Commandments or parts of the Old Testament which would have been written down in his time. You know, King David was a long, long, long time ago before Jesus. All the oral traditions that would have been passed down of, of what had happened with God's people. Probably David would just have had the first five books of the Bible and maybe a bit of Judges and a tiny bit of Ruth. Actually, David is talking about all that God wants us to know about himself, the doctrine of God, the whole run and rule of the sacred writ. For us now, living in the days after Jesus, the revealed will of God has never changed. Jesus came not to destroy, but to fulfill the law. The substance of the law is eternal, as, God, as Jesus himself explains in Matthew 5. The substance of the law is this, it's that God is make, was making a way for his people to be in his presence. How do we, as people, manage to stand in the presence of a holy God? 
The word of God, David says, is perfect and pure. There's nothing unclean in the word of God. Some of the parts you read in the Old Testament, it's like shocking the behavior that you read. And yet actually the word of God is pure. It's there because God wants you to know it. The word of God revives us. It literally brings us back to life. In the book of John, John refers to Jesus as the word made flesh. And in Jesus was life, and the life was the light of man. Let me read to you some things that Jesus said. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Not confusing? It's clear, isn't it? I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, and life in all of its fullness. And Jesus also said, anyone who hears my words and believes him, God, who sent me, has eternal life. That's the words of Jesus. God's eternal plan runs through the whole Bible, God's written word to us. His perfect plan, the people of God in the place of God dwelling in his presence, just as it was in Eden. That's the plan of God's. The people of God, in the place of God, dwelling in his presence like it was in Eden. The Bible is a story of redemption. This book is God's redemptive plan, and it has the ending in it as well, in Revelation, to restore us to him. The book is perfect, and in it are the words of God, his revealed plan, and it revives, brings life to our soul. As we understand what Jesus has done for us, as we choose to believe in him, to live for him, to serve him with our lives, we have life, and life in all of its fullness, just as Jesus promised us. We're told really clearly in this book, The Word of God, that the only way to eternal life and being born again as a new creation, forgiveness of the things that we do wrong, so that we're able to approach and be in the presence of a totally holy, totally pure, totally clean God, totally just and fair God, is, and to become a child of God is through believing in Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. There is no other way that you are able to be in God's presence. David tells us in verse 7 that the word of God is sure, it's certain, it's sure, it's safe, it gives us wisdom. And you don't need to be a theologian to understand the word of God, which is good news for many of us, if we are honest. We are reminded here that the testimony, the personal story of God, makes even the simple wise, which is also good for many of us, because if you're like me, we are a little bit simple and weirdly, as I'm getting older, I feel like I'm getting more simple. I don't know, does that carry on? Like, do you just get more, I don't know, it's really bizarre. You feel like you should get wiser and feel wiser, but you kind of like hit about 28 and then you think, oh, I'm going backwards. It's very strange, Um, but it seems to have happened. It might just be me. But I take comfort in the fact that we are promised that the word of God makes even the simple wise. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Apostle Paul explains to us how the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, helps us to understand the Word of God, and he reveals to us the plan and the wisdom of God. You're not even on your own when you read the Word of God. The Holy Spirit, he is helping you to understand what you're reading. 
So, do you know, our Elizabeth, sorry, Elizabeth, I'm going to embarrass you publicly, sorry, sorry. She wasn't so great at reading, bless her. She reads all the time now, constantly. It's really irritating. Um, and, uh, but do you know how she learned to read? She learned to read the Bible. She couldn't read the other stuff. Like, honestly, she just couldn't read books. And then we gave her a Bible, and she started reading the Bible. That's how she learned to read, is she read the Bible. And she was able to understand it. Teachers couldn't believe it, that she could understand it. Uh, honestly, if your child's struggling with reading, get them to read the new, some of the New Testament, the Gospels, the parts about Jesus in a good news version, and that spirit will help them read. He will. So that would be our testimony of how the Holy Spirit works. In verse, look, poor Beth, she's just dying in the corner. Verse 8 tells us that the precepts, remember the general rules and boundaries relating to our behavior, which God reveals to us in Scripture, give us joy. Now, um, my nieces and nephews, they, they think I'm really fun because I have many boundaries in my house. Auntie Anna's house is a place of safety and security, and they know what will happen if they break the, break the boundaries in my house. That's why it's called the house of joy when they come round to my house. My plant is still dead, and I don't know why. I'm going to find that out later. Since the sleepover, it's still a little bit... It's sort of started wilting. I don't know. I feel like some of my boundaries may have been slightly switched somewhere. Um, Spurgeon uh, really gives this beautiful quote. He says this, Mark the progress. He who was converted was next made wise and is now made happy. That truth which makes the heart right then gives joy to the right heart. Free grace brings heart joy. Free grace brings heart joy. We have been given what we don't deserve, haven't we? What should our lives be like? My life would be a train wreck. I'd be like a weird mixture of feminism and obsession with men and wanting a career and not wanting a career, and I'd, I'd be all over the place if it wasn't for the free grace of God. I'd, I'd dread to think what I'd be like. It's quite frightening when I think about it. Following God's way, living his way, brings us joy. It enlightens us. We walk and live our lives in the light of God. Jesus said, remember the word Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you follow Jesus? Well, if you do, you have the light of life. You don't need to pursue it anywhere else. You have it. You have the light of life. What an amazing truth. You know, however dark the world around us becomes, and I wrote this before everything happened yesterday, the world is going to get darker. Jesus was very clear. He didn't hide it. He hasn't said it's going to get brighter and brighter and better and better. He's very, been very clear. There will be wars, rumors of wars. There will be fighting. There will be killing. You will be persecuted. You will have many troubles. He didn't hide from us the truth. As the world becomes darker, as we hear of evil that you just can't even contemplate, when we see what is happening around us in the world, when we see what's happening in our own families, in our own homes, in our, in our communities, when we hear all of these things around us, we remember that we have the light of life. And we're promised so clearly that the darkness will not overcome the light of Jesus. It never will. And I believe, as a, 
as the evangelical churches, we must get braver in saying that we choose to follow God's words because it is light and it brings us joy and fulfillment. And we must never try to change it to fit our culture. Our culture is not bringing joy. It is not bringing fulfillment. We have massively high suicide and self-harm rates in our young people. It does not bring those things. But the word of God brings light and fullness of light, a fullness of life to all who follow it. We have it. We mustn't hide it. Um, So I was telling about a really interesting news article, which I think, was it Rob? Rob. Rob read it because he's the teacher and he's, you know, he reads. He he read an article in The Spectator, which basically said that the only churches that are growing in England are the churches that are evangelical, that hold to the word of God and stand up for the word of God. They're the churches that are growing. The ones that aren't doing that aren't growing. Because actually this book is the way of life that will bring fullness to people. And we have to stop being afraid of it. Young people, I appreciate it's so much more difficult for you because of the way our society is. But hold to this book. It will give you a good life. It will give you a full life. And actually your friends might start off laughing at it. But as you go through life, they will see that your life is a life of joy, a life of light, and a life in all of its fullness. The commands and ways of the Lord are true. They're given to us by a loving God who created us. He knows all the hairs on our head. Ah, Steve, not many. We are just so grateful, aren't we, to a God that knows our own thoughts, our own needs, our our emotions better than we do. I mean, you know, I don't know what I feel half the time. Sometimes I listen to it, sometimes I don't. Sai hopes I don't because it's much more uncomfortable for him when I do listen to my emotions. Um, But actually, God knows more than I do what I'm thinking and feeling. When we follow the ways of God, we have a life of joy, light, and truth. When we know that truth, when we hold on to the truth that God understands us, he's not trying to stop you from having a good life. He wants you to have a life, and a life in all of its fullness, and a life that when you stand before Jesus, you will not be ashamed. That's what he wants for you. He's a good God. He loves us. When we hold on to that truth, we desire God's words more than anything else in life, we're told in verse 10. We depend upon the word of God, We desire to know the word of God, and it's the most precious, sweet thing that we have. We love God more when we understand his word more. We marvel at God's wisdom, his love, his grace. And the more we know the word of God, the more we understand ourselves, of course, because as we know the person who made us more, we understand more about ourselves. Apparently, if you read the manual of your car, you understand your car. This is why I don't understand cars. Never read one, never will. So, but God knows us and he loves us. When we know God's words, we know our purpose and the reason for life. Nobody is an accident. You are created by God. He has a beautiful purpose for your life. If you go to work every day and glorify God in your work, you are fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. If you do the school run and you know God and you love him and you're listening to him and obeying him, this is the plan of God for your life. You're fulfilling the purpose of God in your life. 
for the majority of us, we don't do the exciting things that you read about. We just live our normal life every day, the drudgery of it, knowing that God is using us as we live according to his standards and his way. We need to be like Peter, who said this. Do you remember all the, when Jesus said things that people didn't like, and then everyone kind of went, oh, I don't want to follow someone who is a bit controversial and doesn't tell me I can do whatever I like, and loads of people left Jesus. Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says to them, you know, are you going to leave me too? This is what Peter said. He says this. This is Peter, um, who was called the rock on which the church was built, says this. He says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Are we like that? Who else would we go to when we know that the one that we approach is the one who has the words of eternal life and that he is the Holy One of God? We don't need to go anywhere else. The wisdom that we need for life is in this book and we need to love it. We need to strive to understand it. When we don't understand it, we don't just give up and say, I don't understand it, so I'll just give up. No, we, we seek to understand the word of God. When we have our discipleship groups together, we bring the things we don't understand and we sit and we work together and we work out what is the word of God saying to us. If you're not in a discipleship group, get into a discipleship group. It's wonderful. You do the word of God together. You have people that have been Christians for 20 years. You have people that have been Christians 20 days. You have like all the different perspectives of what we're reading here. And you understand the word of God more as we share it together, as we study it together. You know, the underground church in China, they have retreats where they focus in caves sometimes, which is most not nice, is it? Nobody wants to be in a cave. They have retreats where they focus on memorizing whole books of scripture, ready for when they go to prison and they will no longer have their Bible. This is what the underground church does because they know that in the darkest of places, the thing that they need more than their own personal freedom is to know the word of God and that they will survive. If they know the word of God, they will survive being in prison. Are we like this here? We have become so complacent and lazy that we're so unappreciative of the wonder of owning your Bible. Owning a Bible and being able to put it in your bag and walk around with it is a wonderful privilege that much of the world does not have. Have we become so complacent that we just no longer love it with that passion that we must know the words of God? The amazing truth as well is that God rewards us When we follow his way, you not only get eternal life, freedom from fear of death, freedom from the second death, you know, that when we see Jesus and we're judged, we're going to go and be to heaven with him forever and ever. Not only do we get forgiveness, grace, kindness that we don't deserve, but we're also told that God will reward us according to our works in verse 11. It's incredible to think, isn't it, that a God who could force us to obey, he could make you bow right now if he wanted to. He could. He could do it with everybody on the, on the earth. And one day he will come back and everybody will bow before him. They won't have any choice, but they'll have to. And yet he gives us this opportunity in our life where we get to bow before him voluntarily and to choose to follow him 
and he rewards us for it. It's amazing, the grace and kindness of God, that he would give us eternal rewards for following him. If you don't believe me, these are the verses, we don't have time to do them. Matthew 6, 16, verse 27, Matthew 5, verse 12, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 to 14 is a few of them. Now, I'm not a health and wealth person. You'll be pleased to know we're not going to charge you £10 for coming this morning. So it's good. You can come here for free. We are not health and wealth people. I believe in eternal rewards. I really honestly believe that if you're a Christian, you're likely to be poorer, not richer, because we don't, we're not so bothered about our money and our possessions, and we share stuff, we don't sell stuff, we give it away, we don't think I'm going to make 100 quid selling that bag of clothes, we think, no, I'm going to give it to this person that I know needs them. We live completely differently, so don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying you're going to be healthier and wealthier. I don't believe that at all. I believe that when we stand before Jesus, he will test what we have done, and he will reward us accordingly. All the things in Scripture, they remind us of a truth that our world wants us to forget. We are not living for now. We are living for eternity. This is temporary. Heaven is forever. Where do you want your reward to be? Where do you want your reward to be? Do you want to get through, like just through a fire, a bit smoky at the other end? You've made it through. You've got your eternal salvation. You're in heaven. Made it. Or do you want to be that person that when Jesus stands before you, he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You didn't get distracted by things that don't matter. We live our lives according to the word of God, and we remember that we are living for eternity. Our world is so comfortable. Don't get distracted by things that don't matter. You're not going to take it with you. You're not. You're going to stand before God, and you will stand with the righteousness of Jesus. Now, you might be here and not know Jesus, and you might think, I'm bonkers. That's okay. People think I'm bonkers that do know me. You're all right. But this book might be like, it's a nice book, it's interesting, or I don't understand it, or Jesus was a prophet, or a good moral teacher, but that's all that you think about it. Well, I'm going to give you a challenge. I want you to read Mark, it's in the New Testament, about here, if you pick up a Bible, like somewhere like that, that thickness there. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the stories of what Jesus did when he was here on earth and his words. I challenge you to read them, to seriously contemplate them. And as you do, I believe that God will reveal himself to you because the word of God is powerful. Jesus wasn't just a moral teacher. He is the way, the, the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the holy one of God, and he will reveal himself to you in scripture. So I give you that challenge and you can come and find me in a few weeks time and tell me whether what I'm saying is true or not. So verses 11 to 13, 11 to 13, David wonderfully moves on and shows us how the word of God warns us and it reveals to us our wrongdoings and our need for God. In verse 12, we're told who can discern his errors. Now, how many people here could say, I have lived my whole life by my own morality, and I've never made a mistake. No? Good. If you did, I was going to say you're a liar. But it's, so I don't have to do that. That's really good. Um, actually, morality left in the hands of humans is absolutely frightening, isn't it? Just look at our current time. Look at history. 
One person can commit incredible evil and call it good. Another person can do something that they think is good, and the consequence is terrible, terrible suffering. People can think oppressing one people group is fine because it makes their people group better. That's the way of the world. That's what happens when we're left to our own morality. But I believe, like as we're made in the image of God, humans are are able to do amazing good, but we also have the potential to do incredible evil, and we call it good while we're doing it. But God's law shows us what God requires from mankind. It reveals to us that without God's help, we cannot but get things wrong by our own morality, let alone by his perfect standards. We need God's help to be blameless and innocent before him. In the new covenant, that literally just means God's new agreement with mankind since Jesus came, we have forgiveness from sin and the power to not sin because of Jesus, the God-man, the only man who was able to live a perfect life, completely fulfilling the requirements of God. He came, he died in our place. He took the punishment for our wrongdoings. We all know that wrongdoings do have to be punished for it to be just. It can't be just if they're not. God wouldn't be fair. But he puts the punishment that we should have onto his own son, Jesus that when God looks at us, when we accept what Jesus has done for us, we get the rightness of Jesus, the righteousness of Jesus. And so we're able to come into the presence of the creator God who made the sun, who made the moon, who made the stars, who controls it all, who decides our next breath. And not only that, we're also told that we are given the Holy Spirit who comes and lives inside of us and he empowers us to say no to sin and to live a life that is pleasing to God. David then ends this psalm with a really challenging conclusion, and it's the, it's the challenge I'm going to give you. He says this, If you believe the words and truth of this psalm, then the only conclusion we can have is let the words of my mouth and the meditations, the thoughts of my heart, because remember, out of your heart, your mouth speaks, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. And that's the challenge. Are we living our lives like that? Is that the cry of your heart, that the words of your mouth, the thoughts of your heart, are they acceptable to Jesus? Are they acceptable to him or not? Do you guys want to stand? Um, Do you want to come back up, Nathan? As we sing the the last song, I just want you actually to really be reflecting upon and thinking about that challenge. Let the words of my mouth and the thoughts, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, our firm foundation, and my redeemer. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to worship together. Lord, we praise you and thank you so much that you have given us the words of life, We are so grateful for our Bibles, Lord. We're so grateful to be able to hear your words. We love you so much. We're so, so amazed that you would send Jesus to die for us, to set us free, to give us life and life in all of its fullness. Lord, we just pray, help us to be people that the cry of our hearts 
is that we would please you. Would our life be acceptable to you? Would our thoughts be acceptable to you? Holy Spirit, come and fill us now. I pray for people that don't know you. Bring conviction to them that you are real, that you are true, that you are interested in their life and that you have revealed yourself to them through the world that we live in. Lord, I pray for people who are new believers that you would just be reinforcing to them what you have done in their life, that they would have a deeper understanding and a desire for the words. And Lord, for those of us that have been Christians a long time, Lord, help us to be people of resilience, people of faith, people who remember that we are living for eternity. We are not living for a now. We are living for eternity. And Lord, help us to not get complacent with the word of God, but desire to understand it more and more and more. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, turn us into a people that are pleasing to you, we pray. And we pray this in your name. Amen.